As the band makes their way down, we're going to get started here in just a second. I thought about trying to get to the church early enough uh, to switch the Christmas tree out for a palm tree. Um, 70 degrees today was a little something different than what I'm used to. I saw lots of people excited about it on Facebook, but uh, for me, I would assume have frigid cold temperatures and snow. Uh, I think that's what Christmas should be. Um, I understand that lots of people don't like that, but you're wrong and you'll, that's okay. I did get the opportunity to go golfing today. Uh, good news. I'm not any better in December than I am at any other uh, part of the year. I'm still just really terrible. And, uh, usually I am donating money to the golf course. Um, and I guess paying to dig holes out there. I don't really know, but. Uh, as we get started, guys, over the last two weeks, if you've been here for our series or you were able to catch anything online, uh, we were able uh, to talk about Christ's entrance into the world and how with his entrance into the world, with his birth and with his life, he not only inspired faith, but that he brought with him hope. And his message was one of hope. Now, these two things really, honestly, though, were side effects of Christ being on the earth, faith and hope, but they weren't his ultimate purpose. You see, Christ's ultimate purpose was love. During the Christmas season, we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I recognize for some of you, you may not recognize yourselves as Christians, and so maybe Christmas is a little bit different for you. But for me as a Christian, that's really why we celebrate this holiday. Now, we talk about all kinds of things, and we celebrate the virgin birth during this time. We talk about the angels in the heavens, the star in the sky, the wise men and their extravagant gifts, the shepherds, the manger, the little drummer boy that actually biblically wasn't there, uh, but it makes quite uh, an interesting song, Pa Pum Pum. We talk about peace on earth and goodwill to men, but we often, really, really often, for me, if, if you're like me, almost every Christmas, fail to talk about the death of Christ. I know that's not the normal Christmas vibe. It's, it's a little bit of a downer. We're about joy and cheerfulness and, and glad tidings and all of those things. But I think that when we look at Christ's death, we can still experience those same emotions. Obviously, Christ died tragically, but he died in the ultimate act of love, and he died because he loved the world. And so because of that, we can experience joy and peace and glad tidings through his death. And so I think that we all need to make that shift where Christ's death becomes a bigger part of our Christmas picture. In 1 John 4, 9, it says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. You see, Christ came so that we might obtain life through him, which can only happen, as many of you know, through his death. And I just want us to really think about that and contemplate that this Christmas and everything that goes into it. You know, there's a, a really uh, beautiful truth that, has kind of almost a morbid twist to it, and it's that Christ was born to die. My mom used to sing a Christmas, born to die, every Christmas Eve. I don't really have a childhood memory without hearing her sing that. When we go do our Christmas Eve festivities later tonight, uh, in between bites of all the goodies that I'm going to eat, I may make her sing it. We'll, we'll see how it goes. She, she may be up for it. Um, she may not. 
But Christ was born to die. And at some point in his life, he came to that realization. Now, exactly when, I'm not sure. I don't specifically think that it was in the manger. Like Christ is just sitting there kind of like this, right? And he's like, oh, look at these wise men. What am I going to do with frankincense? I guess I'll die at 33, right? Like that, those thoughts were not in his mind in the manger. I, I truly don't believe that. But at some point in his life, he realized that at 12, he was found in the temple and his knowledge amazed the people there. Luke 2.47 says that everyone heard him. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So this is the story where his parents, they visit Jerusalem and they travel for about a day with their caravan, just assuming that Jesus was somewhere in the caravan. And they realized after they had traveled for a day, Jesus wasn't with them. And when they got back to the temple, it was his fault. Okay. And they're like, Hey, uh, you weren't with us. And he said, well, you should have known I had to be in my father's house. Uh, O'Burn. But while he was there and he's, he's talking and having all of these conversations with the teachers of the law and these biblical scholars of their age, they're all amazed at this 12 year old boy's answers. And so at least around 12, he's starting to have knowledge that is well beyond that of a typical average 12 year old. But whether he knew it or not at that point, I'm not convinced. Then there is his baptism, and we see a pretty cool happening. It's in Matthew 13, verses 16 through 17, which says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now Jesus received empowerment for his ministry at this point in time. But did he receive, along with that empowerment, the knowledge of the end? Again, I think I've made it clear. We don't exactly know, except that we know that he knew the events of his death before they took place. And we see this after Peter rightly claims that Jesus is the Christ of God. If we look in Luke chapter 9, verses 21 through 22, they'll be on the screen. It says, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, I can never think of this specific moment where Jesus finally, firmly just lays it out for his disciples. I can never think of this moment without thinking of Christ's temptation. You see, right after he was baptized and right after the dove descended on him, he was taken into the wilderness and there he was tempted by Satan himself. In Matthew 4, 5 and 6, it says, The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. These two things are etched in my mind because the temptation obviously happened first before Christ delivered this realization to his disciples. And it, hammer home, it hammers home the point. It solidifies for us that Christ could have chosen not to die. Christ was sent to this earth to be the ultimate sacrifice, to perform the ultimate act of love, to, to love the world and to provide 
salvation for the world for all generations, but he could have chosen not to finish his life that way. At any point, Christ could have said, this is too much. At any point, Christ could have called on the angels. They would have protected him. Even when he's on the cross, we see him being tempted by the soldiers who say, call your angels. If you're the son of God, get down off of this cross. He will surely save you. Christ could have chosen not to die, but he did. Christ did. He chose death. And another thing that really strikes me, something that I think is really powerful is Christ was an intelligent, intelligent, I don't know what two words I was trying to mix there. Christ was an intelligent individual. He knew the law. He knew scripture. He knew the Old Testament sacrificial system and how it was almost this tiered system where the greater the sin, the greater the sacrifice. And here he was to have to pay for the sins of all mankind. And he would have known in that instance, the type of sacrifice that that would have taken, that he would have had to be crushed, that he would have had to be persecuted that he would have to be crucified and that his blood would have to be spilled for the sins of many. And I know again, guys, that this is not the normal, typical Christmas vibe, but in this one act is the greatest amount of love that we have ever seen. Christ choosing to die on a cross meant for a criminal because he not only love those that were living in his day and age, even those who didn't love him, even those who beat him, even those who spit on him, even those who crucified him, but not only them, he had enough love for the generations to come that he chose death. And he came into this world and he walked amongst people who rejected him, knowing that the end would mean his death. But he loved you so much and he loves me so much and he loves all people so much that just the possibility that someone might recognize that love from him was enough for him to go and to die on a cross. Isaiah 53, three through five says that he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Talk about that prophecy found in Isaiah, followed by the words in John 15, 13, that tell us that greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. To me, this is me, the world has seen no greater act of love than what Christ did on the cross. He took a punishment he wasn't deserving of. He took your punishment. He took what was owed to you 
and said, no, that's going to be mine. This beautiful little tiny baby born to a young mother and father who were terrified about the life that was going to come, trusting that God had a purpose and a vision for them. Only for Mary to see her son murdered at the age of 33. Tonight and tomorrow, during this season, we celebrate the birth of Christ. But we too should celebrate and give thanks for his death. Because frankly, without his death, his birth holds no significance. Without his death, the faith that he inspired is lost. Without his death, the hope that he preached is baseless. But he died. And he died on a cross. And he died so that we may live. And because of his death, we can live confidently in faith. And you can confidently have faith. We can be steadfast in hope. And I tell you now that we surely know what it means to be loved. Regardless of your background, regardless of your past mistakes, how much money you have or don't have, where you come from, what you look like, any bad thing you've ever thought, any bad thing, again, that you've ever done. Christ loves you. He loves you. And you should know that. You should know that in this season. If you're not feeling it, I'm here to tell you today that Christ loves you. You are loved. You are found worthy. You are important. My hope is that as we finish out this season, you will not only feel that, but that you will take that love and that you will multiply it to others. Merry Christmas. And thank you, Lord. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now and as the band makes their way up here and we finish out our, our night with some worship songs and some Christmas hymns and, and, and things like that, Lord, I just pray that as we go home to our families and we celebrate Christmas and we open up the gifts and we have all the good time together and we partake in the treats that God, you just in our hearts and in our minds remind us that this season is all about you. And God, we get to experience love in this world because you taught us what love truly is. You destined us to be in the roles that we find ourselves in and in the families that we find ourselves in and around the people that we find ourselves with. And God, I just want us as people to love one another. To take this love that has been shown to us and to multiply it out into the world. God, we are so thankful. And to you, I say thank you for sending your son, a king, 
to leave his throne in heaven and to walk this earth as a beggar. To be born in a manger and eventually to die on a cross. Scripture tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, no matter their past, no matter their history, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God, we can experience that through you tonight. And we can know what it means to be children of God. To experience the love of salvation. That's my prayer for everyone tonight, God, that not only would they come to know you and come to experience your salvation, but most importantly, Lord, that they feel love during this holiday season. We thank you for the ability to be with one another. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.